Welcome, everybody, to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew. As always, I have my co-host, Matt and Vitor, here as well. Unfortunately, we are here to review a crushing 25-6 to loss uh, the New York Jets had to the New England Patriots in their home opener this past week. Zach Wilson threw four interceptions, and apart from Zach Wilson throwing four interceptions, actually, the team didn't play too bad, but those four turnovers really messed up the game. Not really much you can do when you're turning the ball over at that rate. We got a, a lot to break down. There's a lot of questions about who specifically was at fault, was it play calling was it zach was it a little bit of both vitor you're the resident quarterback of the show go ahead and break it down for us well it feels like both lafleur and zach they spent the entire game thinking way too much as if they were game planning was still going on what do i mean yes they thought the patriots were gonna go and blitz then zero and be aggressive just like banners did but bill belichick said hey okay i won't do it i'll rush five occasionally i'll play coverage and I'll see if those receivers and Wilson, if those receivers can beat our corners and if Wilson can pick the right matchup. And that's what Belichick and the Patriots did. And LaFleur and Zach refused to adjust. LaFleur continued to call his shot plays, continued to put eight guys in protection for Zach with training routes. And, and, and Zach didn't adjust either. His mentality was still, let's go for the big play. Let's beat them deep. And, and the Patriots are like, okay, you're doing exactly what I want. You're doing exactly what I planned for. The Jets refused to adjust because they thought the Patriots were playing blitz heavy. They, they, they thought the Patriots were going to be aggressive just like the Panthers were. And what Belichick did was the complete opposite. Belichick takes rookie quarterbacks to school, yes, but he primarily took the Jets rookie OC to school in that game. Besides that, talking only about Wilson, he was clearly pressing he was trying to make up from his first interception with every throw he made after that and, and you know it happens he probably got flustered because it was the first home opener it was the home opener it was his first home game the crowd was insane he was clearly out of his game and besides that having lafleur continue to put him in aggressive situations situations in which he could and should be aggressive help to settle for a four interception game just like Sam Darnold had a few years ago in the Ghost Monday Night Football game. Yeah, but I don't really think that this was a game of ghosts for him because the pressure wasn't really there, especially for two of those interceptions. Uh he was he had time generally throughout this game. So I don't want to say that he was seeing ghosts. Uh, so I'm I'm not going to compare this game to the one that Sam had. He had the tools to win this game, and I really am disappointed in Lafleur because he had the power to rein Zach in and give him an opportunity to thrive, and he didn't do it. He put him in those aggressive situations, like you said, and they just weren't called for at all. And especially like the I think it was the third interception he threw. We're in field goal range already. Just be safe. You can even hear the announcers like, just be safe here. Don't take any any undue risks here. Just play it safe. Get the points. We were still down by maybe, I think, 13 at that point. Uh, so points would have been very important there. And he, he threw a very ill-advised pass. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Uh, the word of the day for Sunday was arrogance to me. And it's for Wilson and it's for Michael Floor because uh, they had their script from their game plan. Like you said, Vitor, they were expecting pressure. They were expecting to have to throw hot and have to block up seven and try and win with some deep shots. And the Patriots didn't do that. 
They were very much comfortable with saying, okay, we're going to sit here and we're just going to hang out and drop in coverage. We'll rush four mainly. We'll rush five sometimes. And they probably saw the Jets offensive line and the performance they had last week. And also considering Mekhi Becton was out and said, we don't need to send extra pressure. We can afford to sit back in coverage and we can go and eat on this offensive line because they didn't really play well last week. And this is where the arrogance really steps in even more. The offensive line played really well. And we'll get to that in our next point uh, after we finish up with LaFleur and Zach. But the offensive line played well. And I want to throw some stats at you guys for that because it really just emphasized how well they played and how the arrogance and play calling really didn't match how the game flow was going. The Jets offense, they had 13 total third downs on the day. And only four of them were on third and five or longer. All of them came in the fourth quarter. That's an example of your offensive line on first and second down, running the ball and generating chunk yardage on the Jets. First two drives that ended in interceptions after two total plays on each of them. The first drive they ran for eight yards. Didn't call another run play after that. The second drive, they start with a run. It goes for 13 yards. They also don't start out with a run after that. I really didn't like the early game play calling, um, I think that had more to do with anything than anything else. It didn't let Zach get into a rhythm. And by that point, the game was down. They were playing catch up. Zach tried to play hero ball and it got too big for him. This was his welcome to the NFL moment. And I think it's good that it came in his second game as opposed to coming in his second or third year, because that's when Sam Darnold's ghost game happened. We want to make this comparison. I'm sure it's going to be made. I didn't quite see Zach outside of a couple of dumb decisions, he wasn't being fooled. He wasn't completely and totally just not knowing what he was looking at. He was making dumb decisions because he was trying to make something happen when it wasn't there. And that's going to grow out of him with experience. I think overall, this was just the two of them being too arrogant and trying to do too much. Yeah. I think after the first game, he was getting pressured like crazy and he was able to handle it pretty well. Uh, Even his decision-making was pretty good. So when he came into this game, yeah, and he realized that, all right, he has some time to throw now. And his offensive coordinator is freeing up the the playbook for him. And he took advantage of that. Well, it, he he definitely put it forward that he wanted to make himself known as the guy that he was in, at BYU, as that pristine downfield passer. And he wasn't that on Sunday. Yeah. Honestly, you know, in the NFL, it's been an entire week game planning. So I bet you Tuesday morning, LaFleur and Zach were talking. Hey, this is what we're going to do, right? They're going to blitz us. They saw the game tape. They saw that the Panthers destroyed us by being aggressive. They're going to be aggressive, too. We're going to beat them by throwing deep early in the game. And then we're going to run the ball down their throats when they start respecting our passing game. When this didn't happen, LaFleur was like, I can't be around. The fourth pick by Zach Wilson was in the second half, and he called a three-man route. And it looked like a deep flood of a deep corner, a deep out, and a flat. And this was not the time for the play call. Not the time for a play call. And it, it was like what Andrew said. They were both very arrogant. They had to change up. They had to understand that the run was working. And I don't blame Wilson for that because he feeds no. off from his offensive coordinator. If his offensive coordinator is still calling second level throws to him after he throws a couple of picks and the O-line is dominated on the ground, he's going to be aggressive. He's a rookie. There's no point of limiting, limiting him. I know, but you got to go within the game flow. And that's what LaFleur failed to do. And that's where Wilson failed to also do because he was like, okay, Matt's throwing me stuff that I need to be aggressive. I continue to be aggressive. I'm a rookie. I'll make my mistakes. It was like the fourth interception was like, I don't give a damn throw. 
And this cannot happen on the NFL, in the NFL. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that was, like I said, it was arrogant. It was not changing your game plan based on what you studied and what you had came up with. And once the game started seeing that it was going to go a different way, this isn't an example of they had their game plan and it got completely and totally just shut down. They had another game plan that was working. The running game was working really well. And I think that's a really good feed into our next point, which is the offensive line responded mightily from their first game in Carolina. They went from giving up six sacks and having absolutely no uh, hold or movement in the run game to creating whole after hole in the run game offensive line, I think had over 150 uh, offense as a whole and 150 rushing yards it was mainly because the offensive line played so well. And they only gave up one sack and it came late in the game after Wilson held the ball for quite honestly, a handful of time. This was a really, really dominant performance from the offensive line against a tough Patriots front. And I think it needs to be highlighted, Matt, let's go ahead and talk about that more. So, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things we said last week was, will this coaching staff huddle their offensive line together? and improve on what they needed to improve. And they did. This is something that I think we should definitely be praising the, the coaching staff. We, we sort of dumped on the floor a little bit before, but we need to give praise when praise is due. And they improved from one week to the other. It was night and day difference. And I think it all starts in the middle with uh, Connor McGovern. I believe he had probably one of the best games as a Jet. And, and it sort of reverberated throughout the entire offensive line. All of a sudden, you're seeing everybody else sort of materialize into who they should be. You see Fant pancaking people. You see AVT mauling people. Even Connor McGovern, uh, not Connor, uh, even uh, Greg Van Roten was was uh, communicating well in, in the run game. Moses was doing his thing. Everybody was sort of working together. The communication was there. And as a result, like we said in the beginning, with the, the running game, it was popping. They were getting huge chunks, and they definitely should have stuck with it. The pass protection uh, was pretty much there all game, except for late in the game uh, when everybody started uh, doing a little bit too much. And uh, that was mostly on Greg Van Roten, I believe. He had he gave up a bunch of pressures late in the game. These This group was definitely improved, and it showed. And if Zach was able to to sort of claim this moment, and to capitalize off this group improving, I feel like it would have been a completely different game. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, I think what we're seeing, as well as the improvement of the Jets' offensive line, I think the Panthers' defense might be better than we expected. I mean, they shut yeah. down the Saints this week. I think Alvin Kamara had four rushing yards. Uh, it was They dominated the Saints. This was back-to-back uh, -back weeks that Panthers' defense came out with their hairs on fire. And the Jets' offensive line, going against what we all expected to be a pretty tough New England front, they kind of bullied them from the start of the game, quite literally from the first offensive play. They were bullying them through most of the game up until towards the end of the fourth quarter. And by then, it's really hard when you're pass blocking so much. And we all know Greg Van Roten isn't the best pass blocker. Uh, they had an opportunity to control the game on the ground and they went away from it. And while it's discouraging from a play calling standpoint, it's encouraging from an offense as a whole standpoint, because we were all worried last week that Wilson was going to get killed and he was going to be running around for his life this whole season. And it was where you were going to have this rookie quarterback and not be able to protect him. I don't think that's going to end up being the issue. I think it's just going to be dialing in the play calling, getting the offense on page and being able to adapt in game 
when your script might not go exactly what you're expecting. That's the NFL. You got to be able to think on your toes and adapt within the game and change to what your opponent is doing. I really think for the offense's perspective, that is the takeaway from this game. It is get, take what's there. Do uh, you don't need to make the big play? You don't need to, to be the flashy rookie OC and rookie quarterback, you know, taking the league by storm, take what's there, win some games, develop and let the system that's worked for 20 years do what it does. Yeah. And some batter's perspective is needed, Andrew. Great points. Kamara had eight carries for five yards. The Saints were held to under 50 yards on the ground with one of the best, if not the best offensive line in the NFL. Yep. So, you know, this O-line performance in week one, it's okay. Honestly, it's okay. It's great to see the improve. And, you know, the difference Morgan Moses makes is underrated because he has the mentality. I, I said that a billion times here in our podcast that Moses has the run game first mentality. He is aggressive. He is aggressive. And, and, and that's what he brings to the table. I'm so excited to see a line with Beckton and Moses as a tackles because the Jets will be able to run by either to either side and they will be successful because both of these guys are aggressive and their aggressiveness will help them in the past game. Great time by the O-line. Also, Elijah Vera Tucker, he improved. He played a lot better, and that's great. And that's what we all expected. Who watched at 18 college expected? He was pro-ready. He is pro-ready, and he will be a rock solid, solid as a left guard for us here for this season and for the next few years to come. And one point that I'd like to make about the O-line is the ultimate unit is the, in the ultimate sport. It's so hard to play, to have one individual lineman to play well and the other four to just suck. Yesterday was a prime example of that. The Jets lose Mikai Backton, but the entire unit was playing well. Despite George Fant allowing some pressure, despite George Fant holding in a couple of plays, the O-line played well. And, and that's a great sign for the unit, for John Benton's coaching. If the unit plays well, the weakest link will play okay. And that's what they want to do while Backton is out. And when he's back, this unit with ABT, Backton, Moses, Solid McGovern, and OK Van Roding has potential to be top 10 in the league. See, but one thing we need to mention is that Moses didn't get the start over Fan. So when Beckton comes back, will he maintain that spot? I hope so. But I yeah, don't know if he I actually will. So. Maybe. Yeah, I think so too. I, I I think that the tape that Morgan Moses is going to put out in the handful of weeks that he's on the field, it's going to be evident that he's good enough and they're not going to be able to take him off the field. I completely agree uh, with everything you said, Vitor, that once the two of them get back and Mekhi Becton is on the other end, the run game is going to get even better. And speaking of Morgan Moses, he said it himself this past week when they were asked about the offensive line and how they were able to respond after a down week. And they said that the number one issue that they had was communication the week before. And they honed in on that in practice this week was making sure their communication was key and that they were on the same page. And it showed because they played much better as an overall unit and an offensive line is a unit uh, it, more so than any other position. It is a unit. And it was really encouraging to see them respond. I, I don't think Morgan Moses is going to lose his job. No, I, I think he's, he's earned that job and he's going to keep it the rest of the year. I agree. I'd be upset if he, if he did lose it. Honestly, on Moses, the conversation has to be not if he's going to start, but if the Jets will extend him. He's only under contract for this season. And if he continues to play like that, it's worth giving him a two-year deal, honestly. You know, and moving off on fan, even though he's a good backup, he might be too expensive as a backup next season. And then you give Moses a two-year deal. If he continues to play like that, this has to be in mind for Joe Douglas. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. 
That's an interesting possibility, and I'm not necessarily against it because Fant would be expensive as a backup. But to be completely fair, I think we've kind of seen that we need backup tackles if Mekhi Becton is going to be potentially risking injury. And I mean, this is back-to-back years where he's had lower body injuries that are keeping him out. And you can't have, we can't rely on Chuma Adoga. I mean, there's a reason that they signed Morgan Moses when they had the opportunity to. It's because they needed the depth. And maybe if they can draft uh, in the upcoming draft, they can get a developmental tackle that can work as the backup, then I could be a little more okay with it. But I quite honestly, right now, I think I'd lean towards trying to keep fan. Uh, I mean, yeah, Yeah, I I agree. agree. Go ahead, Matt, please. Yeah, but definitely extend Moses if if he continues on this path. Uh, I would definitely try to replace Van Roten. And then maybe draft a guy to yeah to just back up Moses in the in the interim while he gets his uh, his sea legs. Yeah, I was thinking about drafting a replacement for for Bacton or backup for both. That's what I mean. And and moving out from Fan, but but obviously if they can draft keeping Fan and Moses is is the route to go. IMO. It's a good problem to have. Too many good tackles is a good problem to have. And even though we've seen George Fant be up and down, he's still better than a good bit of offensive tackles in the NFL and a handful of starters at that. So I, it's not like that he would be as a backup. Like we said, he's great as a backup. He's average as a starter. I would rather I'd be okay with having an average starting tackle as your backup tackle. All right. Well, that's enough about the offense. Uh, it was obviously the story of the day, uh, but I think the most underlying story of the day was the defense and how well they played. They shut down the Patriots and kept the Jets in the game for most of the day when they really had no business being in it, in particular, the cornerbacks. And that's where I'm going to highlight the young corners, Bryce Hall and Michael Carter, the second in particular are playing at literally an elite level. They are top five in the NFL in terms of yardage allowed to wide receivers as a group. Uh, Bryce Hall is only allowed two completions on three total targets. Uh, Michael Carter, the second is being heavily targeted as a rookie out of the slot and has made pass breakup after pass breakup and been tight in coverage after that. He's made a handful of tough tackles uh, for no gain. They, the two of them are playing fantastic. Not that the rest of the group isn't playing well too, because Eccles is playing well. Gidry is playing well. You know, they had another really solid day, but Bryce Hall and Michael Carter, the second are building blocks for the Jets secondary. I think these are two guys that are going to be starting on this team for years and years to come and going to be really, really good players. Bryce Hall in particular, Bryce Hall looks like he is on the cusp of stardom. I mean, he has absolutely shut down anybody that has gone on his side and you don't even hear about him during the game because he just spends the whole day blanketing people. Doesn't matter the size, speed, combination, route, anybody put put Bryce Hall in front of him and he is going to erase them. I think by the end of this season, Bryce Hall, like we predicted, is going to be one of the better corners in the NFL. He's going to be a household name. Yeah. Got to hope so. Hall's playing really well. But one point about defense, I feel like yesterday was the performance that Salah wants to see off. Bend but don't break. Pressure the quarterback. Not allow big plays. This is the Jets' defense. That's what the Jets' defense want to be. That's who they want to be. The Patriots only scored one touchdown, and they had a short field. The rest of their points were all field goals, and, and that's what Salah preaches: bend but don't break. And that's and, and that's the result of the secondary. Those guys are not allowing big plays. Not allowing big plays. And one thing I noticed to just pump up Salah's coaching even more: they are just displaying sticky coverage on third down and they, the refs are not for throwing flags for DPI. The jets are not being flagged and they're just blanketing receivers. There was a curl route, Mac Jones field. I forgot it was to Kendrick Burners to Eckler or someone else. The curl with Javelin Gidry is, or is Brandon Eccles sticky. 
deep nine on Javelin Gidry, sticky, no flags, no flags. And that's coaching. Yep. Those yep. DBs are playing beyond their talent level. And Bryce Hall, Andrew, I agree. If he continues his path, he could be one of the best corners in the NFL. This over tree scheme just benefits him. It's perfect for him. He's so smart. He's an instinctive. He knows he cannot get beat deep. So he's kind of conservative. And he is playing really well. I'm impressed. I remember uh, going back to our superlatives episode. I took a long shot and said that Hall would be our defensive player of the year. Uh, and that might actually play out to be the case, especially if Q doesn't turn it on. Uh, he's been looking great. The whole unit's been looking great. But I really, really want to throw some caution out there. This is a young unit. And this young unit, I suspect, is going to take their lumps, just like every other rookie. You got Zach taking his lumps, LaFleur taking his lumps, the offensive line taking their lumps. I have a feeling this secondary is eventually going to meet their match, and they're going to have a game like that too, where they're going to look really bad, and then people are going to be like, oh, we're very reactionary. We need, we need quarterback help. We need quarterback help. Why didn't Joe Douglas get us help? Well, let's just settle down, guys. We've seen enough from them to show that they can solidify into a solid group. Patience, time, and they'll get it there. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's going to be ups and downs. I'm sure there's going to be games throughout the course of the year where they get torched and their scheme gets figured out and players have good games and bad games. That's the nature of the season. Not every play is consistent. Not every down is consistent. You know, players change and that's the nature of the NFL. It's the nature of everything. But in terms of how they are playing so far and what we have seen through two games and yes, it is early and no, it has not been the most daunting of passing offenses they've faced, although the uh, Panthers offense is playing well again. And, you know, Mac Jones was making smart decisions. They are not limiting big plays. And most importantly, they are securing and making their tackles and they're not allowing yards after catch. If they are allowing completions at all, they are right in the hip pocket. They are tackling the guys right where they land and they're not allowing any extra gains. And that's really, really encouraging. Um, the Patriots wide receivers on Sunday as a group caught nine catches for 69 yards, all of them combined. Uh, and that is just purely a, a shutdown performance from a defensive backfield. And I'm really, really encouraged by what we've seen uh, in particular. I want to highlight Michael Carter, the second, as you know, as much as we highlighted Bryce Hall, Michael Carter, the second is getting targeted all the time. He is getting absolutely attacked on across these two games and he hasn't flinched he has not shaken or flinched or had any bad outright play where he's just completely and totally gotten burned he's playing really really well as a rookie starter and i'm excited to see that if he's going to continue to be attacked like this i think he's going to get his opportunity to get some interceptions and one thing that i've been really impressed with is that their communication has been very good you don't you haven't really seen that many miscoverages uh, other than the first game, uh, I believe one of the the safeties off the street uh, had a mistake. Yeah. But Agreed, other 100%. than that, it's been very clean. Yeah, it really has. Uh, and that's like Vitor said, that's the solid effect. That's his ability to get their communication down and know their keys and know what they're looking for to 
in this scheme, it's all about reacting and reacting means that, you know, what you're doing so well that you don't have to think about it, that you just know it. It was the, when Zach Wilson talked about the analogy of you're sitting down and you're picking up a bowl of cereal and you're watching TV in the morning and you don't have to think about lifting the spoon to your mouth. You just do it. It's the same thing on defense. It's the same thing in their scheme on defense where they need their guys to know their keys and know their coverage and know their rules and everybody else's rules so well that they can just move together as a unit and react. And once the ball snapped, it's all about attacking the ball. Uh, They're doing a really good job of that so far. It's really encouraging to see. Uh, They're going to have a tougher matchup this coming week because the Broncos offense is playing well and they got a bunch of tough skill players. But we have no reason to think that they won't continue to try and play well and put out a good game, honestly. All right, well, that's going to take us into our preview of the Broncos game. Uh, It's certainly going to be interesting. At Denver is always tough. Elevation always causes problems there. Uh, We have a defense that is certainly stymie uh, and certainly... um, daunting. Uh, Vic Fangio is a very tough defensive coordinator. Their scheme can be very confusing. They do a lot of coverage rotations. Uh, it's the birth of the, the Fangio scheme that permeated into LA and now Brandon Staley's the Chargers head coach. They're going to be running it. And Spagnuolo in Kansas City runs some of it. It's it's multiple. It's similar, not exactly the same, but similar to Carolina in that they're going to be shifting the picture a lot. And after a game in which Zach Wilson made some pretty rough decisions, uh, it's going to be important to see how he responds and how he handles this tough defense. Vitor, how do you think, what can Zach do to better handle this defense? What can Michael Fleur do to help Zach better understand this defense? Mm-hmm. Honestly, he just point. he needs to, to game plan some quick game stuff to get Zach in rhythm. I don't think they'll be as aggressive as the defenders in a sense that they would trust both Vaughn and Chubb to get home and rotate coverage in the back end with two high shells pre-snap all the time. So Michael Fleur needs to play smart. Let Elijah Moore be a threat on the outside and let him run some hitch curl routes early in the game so Zach can complete those. Let Davis bring Davis across in motion. Utilize our stick concepts. Quick game will be everything for the Jets against the Broncos early. So I'll say run the ball, get quick game going. But the thing that I've noticed with Zach watching L22, watching film, is that I don't think he's 100% comfortable with quick game. Sometimes he sees stuff and doesn't throw it. And honestly, throwing quick, throwing shorter, it, it, it's it's the hardest thing to do in the NFL because you got to be as accurate as you can and you cannot think because if you think you're late. So Zach needs to be on top of his game and LaFleur needs to give him easy completion short early. Run the ball, easy completions, high-low to beat zone. That's the answer. And honestly, none of this will work if Zach is not on top of his game. He needs to be cool. He needs to understand that the Patriots game is long gone. It's another week. And I honestly feel like his work ethic and all of the football junkie stuff we hear about him will will come, will materialize. We'll see a new Zach. We'll see a more poised Zach, a quarterback that will learn from his mistakes. Maybe not a flashy game, but a like a vet-like game against this Broncos defense. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, Zach's a a film junkie. And one thing I think he's going to notice when he goes back and looks at that film is all the back foot throws that he made when that he didn't need to. There were so many of these throws and they were ugly throws. A lot of them led to interceptions. Uh, He needs to work on this footwork because everything's going to flow through that. I mean, we know that he's a talented quarterback off platform. But when he doesn't need to do that, he shouldn't. And he needs to he needs to improve on that. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, he definitely made a handful of throws off his back foot when he didn't need to. The pass protection was holding well early in the game. He had plenty of clean pockets. He had room to step into throws, and he didn't. He was drifting, and that's something that we saw at BYU that needs to be cleaned out of him, and that will get better with time. But we've already seen him improve on it, uh, especially in the Panthers game. He did a good job of it. And even last, uh, even on Sunday, he did a good job stepping up in the pocket on a few plays and delivering some throws. So he just has to settle down and be more comfortable with what is going on. Uh, and to add on with that, um, I want to make a point that I think I, I can't believe I even have to say here, but where is the jet motion to Elijah Moore? Let is, do you want to talk about getting Zach into a rhythm and getting the offense going? Now would be the time because Josie Jewell, the Broncos starting linebacker is out for the season. So this is going to be their first game with a backup Mike linebacker. Now is the time to throw some confusing things at their linebackers, get some advantages in the run game, get some easy completions, get some easy yards. And actually develop this offense like we've been talking about for months. Uh, they need that misdirection where it matters. We've seen motion from this offense so far, but it hasn't necessarily been purposeful motion outside of the run game when Wesco moves out to get a better advantage of blocking. And I like all that stuff in the run game. Don't get me wrong, but I want to see a little more creativity in getting easy yards and not so much creativity in trying to draw up the big plays. Let's get our offense going and get into a rhythm. Let's get on schedule. Let's take advantage of, them, of some of these defenders and get some plays for free. And I think the best way to do that is to start utilizing Elijah Moore on jet motion. Get him coming across the formation. Get him some jet sweeps. You can call the, the fake jet motion. You throw a screen the other way to Michael Carter, who had a fantastic game. Michael Carter at 88 yards from scrimmage. He got six out of the 18 jets first downs by himself on Sunday. We have skill players. We need to get them the ball in space. We need to let them do what they do. And most importantly, and it's going to lead right into our next point, it's going to slow down the pass rush that's got Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on it that's going to be screaming their ears off trying to get after a rookie quarterback. I think you need to try and beat this defense a little horizontally at first, and that's going to allow you to start beating them a little more down the field. It's going to back off the coverage. It's going to limit the pass rush. It's going to make the ends hesitate. It's going to help your run game because you're going to be able to get an easier edge if the ends aren't able to crash as hard. I, it's the missing key to the offense. We said it for months, and we haven't seen it yet, and I really think we need to start seeing it. Andrew, I couldn't agree more. That's it. We need to manufacture yards, utilize more motion to impacts. LaFleur loves motion to inform Wilson. We need motion to impact the defense. We need to manufacture yards and allow the playmakers to get the ball in open space. I couldn't have said it better. 100% agree. Absolutely. I and mean, we talked to nauseum about how they could use that jet motion and salivated uh, with the possibilities yeah. that they could do with that. And, and the fact that we haven't seen it yet is, is pretty disappointing, but I, I hope that changes. Yeah. I really hope it changes. I think and it was, I'm going to lead right into our next point. Like I said, which is uh, protecting against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. I think that's the first way you do it. If you can get them to be isolated and you can make them hesitate, uh, it's going to help your running game. It's going to help your pass rush on on downs when we can call some creative stuff. Like I said earlier, the offensive line got them into third and short. Plenty of opportunities and plenty of times on Sunday. There could have that opportunity again against the Broncos front that outside of their two edge linebackers isn't the most daunting thing in the world. I think they could get some push in the run game. They could get into the third and manageable situations. And that's when your playbook opens. I think using your motion, using Elijah Moore and trying to exploit the aggression that I think the Broncos will send more so than the Patriots will send is the way to go about doing it. I would love to hear what you guys think. Yeah. I mean, this, I, I fear that 
they're going to revert back to week one status, the offensive line. That's uh, my biggest fear, especially against such a premier group like Von Miller and, and Chubb. Von Miller is playing with his hair on fire right now. Uh, he's already got three sacks, and his pass rush win rate is, is out like through the, through the roof. So I am terrified that they're going to regress. They need to capitalize on the gains they made last week with their communication. They're going to need to communicate really well to stop this group. Uh, and yeah, they need to, they need to apply uh, jet motion and other things to stop this group, to slow them down just a little bit, give the offensive line some help because they're going to need it against this group. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, Andrew, that's it. It all starts with the ground game with the jet motion, trapping the edges, keeping it honest, run the ball, play action, quick game. Do not allow both Miller and Chubb to get home. And the Jets must game plan to avoid third down or to get into third and manageable. If the Jets get into third and six plus, Zach Wilson will probably get sacked. He, he has shown a tendency to hold on to the football way too long. He will get sacked. We don't want to see Von Miller matching up with George Fan and Wilson holding the ball for more than three seconds. But to counter those two guys, you must jet motion at them and run at them. That's the only way. And then you find a way to go play action and evolve your offense. Get some second level throws going on early downs. Keep them honest, quick throws, quick screens. And that's the way to go. If the Jets start the game, go into a pure drop back passing game or try to be aggressive or whatever they want to do without keeping both Miller and Chubb honest, especially Miller, Wilson will be sacked a lot. I don't see a week one type of game, but something in between the Patriots and the Panthers game. Yeah, I, I think that would be the best way to go about it for the game plan is you need to establish the, the ground game. And once you do establish it, you need to keep establishing it because that was the fatal flaw of the Patriots game, in my opinion, uh, early in the game was you had the offensive line that was getting chunk yardage, force the Patriots to stop it, make them declare their coverage, make them bring extra guys into the box, and it's going to help open up those deep shots. They can't double Corey Davis if they have to bring the safety down to stop the run. I want to see them continue to establish the line of scrimmage and establish the run game, keep the defensive ends honest, and and keep Zach Wilson upright because I completely agree. If they have to get into third and seven drop back, it's going to be a long day. I think they need to get creative with some chip blocks too. To put Von Miller on his ass right off the get-go. Don't even let him get going against Fant. Just help him out. You're going to need to help him out, whether it's with tight ends or running backs. He's going to need some help. Yeah, I don't like that, or I don't mind that idea either. I think that would be the perfect opportunity for Tyler Croft to throw a little chip and then leak back out into the flat on a bootleg and catch it short and run upfield. And that's I, I'm right there with you that I think that's a good call. Uh, and the last point I want to make before we get to the defensive side of the ball, I think what we've seen over two weeks is that the Zach Wilson progression and tutelage, for lack of a better word, is going to be a little similar to Josh Allen's. And that you have this guy who has all of this raw talent, who is doing a lot of ball by himself and making big plays purely because he was more talented than other people on the field. 
And now he's got to be able to figure out what he can and can't get away with. And when is the right time to be aggressive and use that talent? The talent's there. The talent's evident. I I think even across the two games, even in this bad game, there was still some throws he made that were absolutely gorgeous that showed off why he is the second pick in the draft. And this is going to be all about reining him in and kind of sculpting this ball of clay into the polished player. That's what we've seen throughout these type of quarterbacks, uh, for the past couple of years, Patrick Mahomes didn't play as a rookie. Uh, Josh Allen was not good his first couple of years. Uh, it takes time to develop. It takes time for these guys to hone their skills and adapt to the NFL. And I think Wilson is going to take that time. And I really hope that this week he settles in and tries to get into more of a rhythm, take what the defense gives him. And Michael floor gives him the opportunity to do that. If, if so, I think they can be competitive. I think it'll be a tough game, but I think they can be at least competitive offensively, put up some points that, we've been waiting to see for a long time. Agreed. All right, let's get to the defensive side of the ball. And as well as the defense has played over the last couple of weeks, even though in week one, it may not have seemed like it, they did play well for a good majority of the game. And last week they were quite honestly, excellent. This is going to be a tough task. Teddy Bridgewater is playing really well in Denver. He's throwing the ball downfield. Well, their skill uh, positions are absolutely carving people up. KJ Hamler is getting open deep. seems like every week, Cortland Sutton is obviously a monster. Noah fans getting it done. Their offensive line is good. And they got two really strong running backs, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. It's a tough task. This is a talented offense. The Broncos offense is second in terms of uh, estimated play above uh, EPA. I believe it's EPA. They're second in the league in EPA. Um, And their offense is playing really, really well. And when you have an offense that is humming and in rhythm, and especially early, they can be dangerous, especially in front of a home crowd. It's going to be a tough task. Uh, What can we do defensively, Vitor, in your opinion, to try and slow down this offense? More of the same has to be salary one change up even though he did some fancy stuff against the Patriots version five some stunts but I believe that the way to beat those guys is to let the front four eat allow CJ Mosley to be himself in space which the Jets have done and trust the cornerbacks to win one-on-one matchups on third down problem is they're gonna get tested the cornerbacks they're gonna get tested Portland Sutton is really good KJ Hamler is a shifty route runner. Team Patrick plays with size. Noah Fan can stretch the scene. Javante Williams can catch the ball. Melvin Gordon can run it. So it, they are stacked. The Broncos are stacked. It's going to be the toughest test for the Jets to eat those four. But I believe they got to stick to their ID, right? To their identity. Rush four, allow the D line to do their job, play sticky coverage on third down, and hope to keep this team into the game until the fourth quarter. Who is this Teddy Bridgewater? I, I haven't seen him throw the ball uh, downfield like this ever in his career. I think he hasn't uh, average, had a yards per uh, attempt uh, above 7.6 his entire career. And now he's at 8.5. His last game was around 9.6 yards. It's, it's wild. So I think they're going to definitely take their shots and they're going to challenge this young group downfield. And they're going to have to stay sticky for a lot longer too because I think their offensive line is pretty good as well. They're playing at the top of their game and it's going to be hard for our front four to get home without any help from a blitz. Uh I think they should def- we should definitely try that at the start, but I feel like their offensive line is going to be able to hold up pretty well. Uh so we're probably going to have to look at being uh, creative with some blitzes here and there. Yeah, I think you definitely need to throw some extra things, uh, manufacture some sacks. That's always a good thing defensively. Um, I'm encouraged by what we've seen so far. I'm really encouraged by Bryce Hall. 
Um, I think he's just playing so well. He's going to be able to handle his side of the field, whether Hamler or Sutton is on him. And that's going to help the rest of the coverage kind of be able to move around and match up um, because Bryce Hall is going to be matchup proof. And point I want to make, we talked about this before we started recording the Broncos offense for as well as it has been playing uh, statistically and no slaps to any of them because they are playing well. They haven't played the toughest of defenses, though their week one game was against the Giants. And in week two, they played the Jaguars. Uh, these are not daunting teams that they've gone against. There are two teams that I believe are both. Oh, and uh, oh, and two. I don't think the Jaguars won either. Um, and the Jags didn't win in week one. Yeah. So they're definitely oh, and two. And these are not, you know, world beating teams. Not that the Jets are, but I think that their defense has certainly shown that it can be very solid and has played solid across the first two weeks. This is going to be the toughest defense this offense has faced yet. This could be a surprise performance. Maybe this is the defense's coming out party where they shut down the Denver offense and uh, so much for the Denver offense being so good and so much for Teddy Bridgewater's revival, they were just beating up on bad teams and the Jets defense could make a statement. I really think this could be a sneaky good game for the defense. Yeah, I agree. I think the defense will keep the Jets into the game up until the fourth quarter. If Bridgewater gets pressure, he might struggle. So we haven't seen him in the true test yet. And this may answer Matt's question. Who's this Teddy Bridgewater? We don't know yet. I don't know. I'm I'm very skeptical that we're going to be able to get the job done. I feel like this. Yeah, they haven't really faced that that good of a talent in the Giants and the, and the Jaguars. But at the same time, I don't feel like we've seen a talent like them either, from top to bottom. And I, I I'm I'm worried that we're just this is the game that we get blown out and everybody gets scared. Yeah, I think this will be a statement game either way. For whichever team, whichever matchup wins the matchup, it'll be a statement game either way. Either the Broncos offense is going to prove that they're for real and that they can go against what appears to be a tough defense and still play well, or the Jets defense is going to prove that they're for real and they're going to slow down what everyone thought was a good offense. Uh, it's Either way, it's we're going to find out a lot about both of these teams. We're going to find out a lot about the defense in particular. I do want to make the point, though, that from what we've seen from this defense is exactly what has been preached by the coaching staff, and it's bend and don't break. Uh, it's exactly what we said leading up for months during our previews is that we all predicted that they were going to give up yards, but then tighten up in the red zone and get off the field on third down when they need to. That's what they've done so far. And I think if they can continue that recipe, they can keep it close enough where if the offense is having a good day, the jets will have success. It's just a lot of ifs and there's a lot of improvements that need to be made. But I would say in terms of every unit on the field, I'm the least worried about the defense in this matchup. Another thing is I feel like the rust is finally kind of uh, brushing off of, of some of the vets that we needed that rust to brush off of. Uh, exactly. CJ Mosley, uh, he looked a little shaky at some points during week one, but week two, he looked like a man on fire. He was patient. His, his, his game IQ came back. Everything that we knew that we were getting when we signed him was starting to show up again. And uh, now we need it from Q as well. Quincy Williams needs to show us that he is the guy that we think he should be. And he, he's, he's been all right. He's getting decent pressures here and there, but he hasn't made the impact. We need to see that. Yeah, definitely. It will take a big game from the defensive line uh, to make an impact, but it is encouraging that the young corners are playing well, even without the defensive lines, monster impact. 
And even then, they played really well on Sunday. They had a handful of sacks. They had a handful of hits. John Franklin Myers had another sack. I, I think this could be another game where the defensive line has a good game, and Quinnen does need to show up more. Um, this to be the guy that we were all expecting him to be, you gotta, you gotta be showing up on the stat sheet more so than just hurries. And I think that he will continue to improve and this could be the game where it happens, but overall, I, I, this is a tough matchup. And I think that's what we've laid out from top to bottom is that this is going to be a tough matchup for the jets. Uh, I think that's a good transition. Let's get into some score predictions for the Broncos game. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and lead it off. I'm going to say 24, 17 Broncos. Um, I think the offense will have a bounce back game and Wilson will play better, but eventually the defense is going to be a little overtaken by the talent on offense. I think KJ Hamler is going to get behind the defense for a long touchdown and the altitude in Denver, the home stadium, the, you know, rebuild after a tough loss, it's going to be a little too much to overcome, but they're going to be competitive 24, 17 Broncos. All right. That's not bad. Uh, I'm going to stick with my blowout prediction and it's going to be 30, 13, I think their offense is going to maybe be stymied early, but eventually they're going to find their groove because I feel like our offense isn't going to be able to get much going. And like against the Patriots, they're going to get the defense is going to get tired and eventually the points are going to come. Uh, and I think that second half is going to be one an ugly one. So 30-13 Broncos. I'll predict my first Jets loss right here in the show. It's going to be 24-14 for the Broncos, similar to what Andrew predicted. The Jets will go into the fourth quarter, losing 17-14, but Bridgewater will march the Broncos down the field, score a touchdown. Jets offense won't be able to bounce back. It's going to be an okay game. We will feel okay after the game. Wilson will improve. The defense will play okay, and the Jets will be facing Tennessee in week four. All right, three losses for the week. Hopefully we're all jinxes and Jets can pull a surprise victory uh, out of nowhere and get a win in Denver, but it certainly is going to be a daunting task. Last segment we're going to finish up with today, uh, looking ahead towards the draft. The Jets are now 0-2, and the draft is always going to be important for a rebuilding team, especially with the amount of draft picks the Jets have. We're going to cover one college player a week that stood out to us. Matt, you're going to go ahead and lead this segment off with Andrew Voorhees, the guard from USC. Talk to us. Hey, 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 yep. So Andrew Voorhees, the younger brother of Jason Voorhees. I I love this guy. I've seen two games this year, three games last year, uh, and he's impressed me a lot. Uh, he's a big guy, 6'6", 320, uh, and he plays with a lot of strength and a lot of great movement. Uh, not just that, he's got great awareness, too. You can tell when he's not uh, engaged with a defender. You see his eyes moving around, heads on a swivel. He uses that drag hand well, like a spider in a web. As soon as he feels a defender, he'll pounce on them. Otherwise, he's looking for work, and he'll lay the wood on, on defenders that aren't suspecting it. Uh, he's he's definitely somebody I've been looking at. Uh, some negatives, he is probably on the older side. Uh, he's a redshirt senior. I think he'll be 23 uh, his rookie year. So that might push him down some boards. Uh, he does have uh, some high pad level for being 6'6". So squatty defenders might be able to get into his pads. Uh, but he's got a good anchor. He, he recovers well, even when they do. Uh, he's definitely somebody I'm going to be keeping an eye on throughout the year. And if he continues with the way he started this year, I think people are going to be talking about him a lot more. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. As always, I've been your host, Andrew. We got our co-host, Matt and Vitor here as well. Guys, you know the drill. Let's drop our handles. Call it a day. You can find me, Matt, at Zazzy Jets. 
And you can find me, Vitor, at Vitor M. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Also at OKD Podcast on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.